nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome back. This is Leanne Meyer, and this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. Uh, Today, our story or our show is being called Childhood Trauma, the Nurse's Role, and I'll be talking with Martin Dearlove, who um, is an expert in this area. So, um, he, uh, his name actually is perfect for the work he does. So Martin, dear love, I kept thinking that maybe he just made that name up uh, uh, when he started doing this work, but that's not the case. So he's a social worker in Australia. He works with children damaged by various kinds of trauma, and he's currently preparing to launch a new business called Childhood Essentials. I found Martin where I find a lot of my guests on LinkedIn. And I had been touched and moved deeply by many of his posts, which center around the concept of love and care for children, and even the child in all of us, no matter what the age is. So, uh, Martin, I am so happy to welcome you to the show, and um, thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you, Leanne. Uh, um, it's a pleasure to uh, join you uh, from Australia. Um, yeah. It's one o'clock in the morning here, so uh, <laughs> it's way past my bedtime, but I'm fully awake. Okay, we'll be very nice to you then. Um, could you tell us just quickly about how you got into this work and um, why it's important to you? Yeah, sure. Um, in, in terms of um, when I got into this work, in terms of, in terms of health and social care, um, I've yeah, been in health social and social work. care for about 20, 25 years. Um, since about 1994, uh, I've worked in a, a variety of uh, fields and sectors, both government and non-government, uh, with different client groups and different settings, different client settings. Um, I became qualified as a, a registered and professional social worker in 2004, so it's about 15 years now. Um, and I progressed through um, the social work ranks, um, leading to senior, senior, senior worker, team leader, and eventually, two years before coming to Australia, which was 2015, so 2013, I, became, I set up my own consultancy in the UK. Um, I was born in England um, and, um, and was qualified in England. And um, I became an independent social worker, uh, stroke consultant, for two years in the UK, working around different local authorities, um, mainly in the northeast of England. Then I came to uh, Australia in uh, 2015, and I became a team leader um, working for the W Western Australia WA government, and um, that is now then uh, the department is the Department of Communities. Um, it was known then as the Department of Child Protection and Family Support, um, and that progressed me on to uh, where I am now, which is um, looking at building the foundations of Childhood Essentials Incorporated, um, and at the start of applying for a PhD, which would um, link with the business, um, link with this non-government agency and um, uh, apply an area of research 
um, and pilot an evaluation around uh, the seven hearts, um, which I'll talk about much later on in the show. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. What brought me? To, what brought me to social work? Um, that's that's a really good question, um, and I think it, it actually falls right into the discussion about trauma. Um, what happened to me when I was younger, under two, um, shaped the rest of my life. Um, wow. And I've come to work with children, not by accident, I think it's fair <laughs> to say. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell us about, uh, you have a very compelling story about that childhood trauma. And I think that nurses everywhere could really relate to what you have to say. If you could tell us uh, just briefly kind of what happened with that story. Yeah, sure. Um, it, it happened at a critical time in terms of child development. Um, the first thousand days, first three years are really critical. We know now in brain, in, in, in brain science um, for children, child development, um, because that, that's when the brain develops most. So when I was about around 20 months, I had a, a nasty injury from hot water. Um, so I suffered burns and needed skin grafts. It was around 1972, and it was in England, and it was with the National Health Service, which referred to as the NHS. Um, at the time, um, one of the things that was going on, there was a, there was a national strike within the NHS at that point, so that made things even more difficult um, in relation to that strike. But also, um, in, the, in those days, your parents, your primary care, your carers couldn't stay with you in hospital. They could come and see you, but they couldn't stay with you. And obviously over time that has changed. Uh, and one of the reasons it's changed is because they realized that it was damaging to children, that they're particularly so young, being, um, not being able to see a cat, not being able to see your mom and dad, for example, um, when you wanted was, you know, was, would cause attachment issues. And, um, um, and that's subsequently what, what happened to me. So um, I was in hospital for about seven weeks. Obviously, I was in a lot of pain um, in terms of the injuries. I got a lot of infections um, and had a, a number of operations during those seven weeks. Um, what happened in hospital, um, when you have an injury like that, I, you know, I would have disassociated. So I would have gone to, in my head somewhere else. To, to, to really avoid that, that pain. Um, mm-hmm. um, I would have been scared. I would have been frightened. I, I had no voice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I had no control, no power over things, over the situation. Um, and some of the things that happened in hospital, um, what I understand, um, and, and part of this is really important, the information I shared with you. Um, and that was quite limited for me at growing up. So, some of the things that happened was that I was, I was force-fed, so I wasn't eating well. I didn't feel well, obviously. Um, I have no memory. I have no memory of this, just bits of information. And I wasn't eating, so obviously I needed to eat. I needed to mend from the infections. And the practice at the time may well have been to try and get food into you and to force-feed you. But the result of that was that for, for, for years later, I, I had food issues. Um, probably not knowingly, uh, when, I, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I was a young person, I, I couldn't relate the two. As an adult now, I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, there was the issue of, 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 of being fed that way. There was the issue of the, um, the operations, um, family not being present, uh, not being told the truth, uh, or not talking about it afterwards, or not talking it, uh, you know, 
I was too young probably then, but mm-hmm. certainly afterwards growing up, not having that information, our accurate information, which is so important to understand yes. trauma. So there's a whole range of things there um, from that seven-week stay in a hospital. Um, and then the effects of that, you know, it led on to bedwetting, it led on to daytime uh, wetting, mm-hmm. for example. Um, mm-hmm. There was night terrors. So, and that's, that's a key indicator of, sort of post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. which, I would have prob- which I would have had. And I, I never realized I would have had that until recently, that that was something that I would have had. It, it mm-hmm. was an adverse experience. It was traumatic. And, um, and night terrors are a sign of that. The REM, you go into an REM sleep disorder. So one of the things that happened was for a number of years, I, I had um, scary dreams. I, I had dreams about a wolf that would come and attack me. So uh, when you think about the hospital situation, I felt attacked. I had no voice. I was crying out for my mom, but my mom didn't come because she wasn't allowed to come to the hospital. Um, so um, the wolf dreams were very real, and they made a lot of sense. And I probably didn't make sense of them until um, maybe just recently, um, 48. So... Hmm. Um, yeah, it can, so that's the other thing about trauma, if it's not dealt with and you, ha- you don't have the information or you can't make sense of it, that it, it comes right. back, it stays with you, it, mm-hmm. it, it comes along and at, at different stages of your adulthood things happen, so it affects your relationships, it affects your friendships sometimes, it can, um, and it can be very painful. Um, you know, so if you have attachment issues in relationships, then they don't work and uh, it can cause a lot of pain and grief and loss. Um, and um, you've, got, you've got to really work hard. There are a lot of barriers and challenges in your life as a result mm-hmm. of this adversity that you have. You know, subsequently at age four, um, I'll put this in here because there was more adversity. And I'll, I'll talk about the ACE study at some point, uh, which is very famous from America. Um, but, uh, you know, my dad died when I was four. So, you know, that was a little bit of, um, again, there was no information and mm-hmm. I didn't know a lot about it. And um, that is another trauma. Um, Were you able you to go about? to the funeral or anything like that? No, I, I wasn't. I wasn't, no. Um um, as you know, siblings, we were kept very much out of it. It, it was mm-hmm. it was a very traditional type of a, a I suppose approach, and I don't think mm-hmm. it was more. It was seen as being protective, mm-hmm. um, but we know that children need to be part of that. Children, we we know that children are resilient. We know that children want to know the truth. We know that children can handle the truth as long as it's provided in very respectable, very constructive, small steps, chunks mm-hmm. um, to a child. Um, um, and at developmental type stages that they understand using mm-hmm. uh, language that's appropriate to them. Um, abs- 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 you know, I should have been involved in kind of all the story, the narratives, because that's how you make sense of the world. Right. Um, Plus you have some some sense of it or or muscle memory or something. And it doesn't, you know, as if the people around you are saying, no, that didn't happen. No, you didn't experience that. Very confusing and and, uh, crazy making. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And and it's not until you're older that you realize that, I suppose. But if you Mm -hmm. don't have therapy when you're younger or you're not referred to um, a specialist, um, 
um, by the hospital or it's not acknowledged that you suffered trauma and Mm-hmm. Then, then you, you work it out as you get older, and and that can have huge complications. You, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 study, you know, the more adversity you have, the more likely you're going to have more problems when you're older. Uh, that, you right. know, and that's not that's 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 not rocket science. Really. So, that's Martin, really, could um, we go back yeah. in the story and say? Yeah. What should have happened? What would have been a better experience for you as a child or any child that's experiencing trauma? What could the nurses have done? How could, you know, policies have made this whole thing less unbearable? Yeah, looking back, well, you would have had, I would have had my family with me all the time. And, uh-huh. and, and often that happens nowadays. Um, so family would have been a, a huge thing. Or you know the closest pers- person to you, your primary carer, um, mm-hmm. staying with you, being there, um, helping you to feel safer, mm-hmm. uh, less scared. Um, abs- that would have, that that is probably the first key thing is that you're connected straight away from a terrible injury to your family. Um, they're with you uh, throughout the time. Um, I talked about the food there. Um, mm-hmm. There's all kinds of different strategies now in relation to food and how you handle a child who doesn't want to eat, doesn't want to eat, and force feeding is not really one of them. Yeah, um, I bet. Um, there's lots of different ways to do that and, and, and to enable a child to do that. In could could of, you just give uh, a couple uh, of things that, you know, if there are people out there wondering, what would those be? What what can you do to get a child yeah, to eat that doesn't well, want to eat? I, I guess I guess um, off the top of my head, I guess around um, you could use communication as a tool. Um, mm-hmm. If we just talk about how somebody talks to someone um, in terms of empathy and compassion, mm-hmm. tuning into a child um, about the discussion of eating and why it was important, um, uh, being able to um, be creative with food. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that might encourage a child to eat, um, bring in bring in laughter to food, bring in engagement to food that is mm-hmm. positive and constructive. Um, right. um, you may even you may even say change the menu for this child because he's not mm-hmm. going to eat those things, or give him his ice cream and his jello because that's all he's going to eat. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's there's there's, there's that there's those types of. There's, of, 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 of thinking rather than it being an aggressive, forceful approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be creative. You have to think outside the box. And, and you have to look at research. So what does work with children who want to eat in a hospital? There would have been mm-hmm. lots of research about that. Great. That helps. What about the pain? You must have had intense pain. And then the surgeries, I can't even imagine what you went through. What could the nurses have done that would have made that better? Well, um, what could have made that better? Um, well, in terms of one of the one of the things that I thought about recently was, uh, it's, which is really important for children in foster care who've been adopted, is is life story work. Um, mm. The nurses really need to be part of the narrative, the story, the caring for the, the child. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be the same nurse um, day in day out. Uh, Potentially five days a week out of seven. Um, you might have your own um, allocated nurse, for example, uh, and doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're part of your story, and, and it's really important that they. Um, and it's, there's a real gap there that they could develop a life or memory book, or uh, um, of 
your stay in hospital, um, mm-hmm. such as taking photographs, such as giving you mm-hmm. paperwork, um, and talking to you, um, getting you to, um, uh, getting your parents involved, getting your relatives mm-hmm. involved. So what you, so what you have is an accurate record of what actually happened. Mm-hmm. What actually happened, and something you take home with you. So when you're ready, when you know, I was obviously only twenty months. It wasn't something I was going to read. But, right. <laughs> but when I was three or four, it was there for me to look at and to understand, and I could process it when I was younger. Which uh-huh. have been, which have made a massive difference, a massive right. difference in terms of that information. So information mm-hmm. from the nurse, yeah, yeah. So a life, a life. That's a tool, a life story uh, toolkit, um, a, a memory of that event. Mm-hmm. Um, would be really useful. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about um, as an adult, then you had to do a lot of that processing. Um, what were some of the the treatments that you used that were helpful for you? Yeah. Um, certainly, um, EMDR is is, mm-hmm. is has been really useful. So that, that stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing, quite a mouthful, right. um, and it's a form of psychotherapy, um, and uh, the therapist uses side-to-side eye movements, or with children, it's hand-tapping, uh, and the child would usually sit on the, um, the parent's lap, um, uh-huh. and with the child, and a story would be given to the therapist, a story is given to the therapist around um, as much information as possible around mm-hmm. that traumatic event. Um, with the hope it diminishes negative feelings associated with um, those memories of, of, of uh, traumatic events. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other things that can be used, and these can be used in hospital as well, private nurses, calming tools and techniques. So, mm-hmm. you know, massage is a massive, massive oh, um, yeah. relaxation, relaxing uh, for children, using the senses, smell, you know, think about all the senses, think about the smell, um, hearing, yeah, mm-hmm. voice so music music comes into music. it rocking yeah. rocking is very therapeutic you know mm-hmm. if you had a rocking mm-hmm. chair my little girl goes on the rocking chair and she loves it she rocks on it rocking <laughs> chairs are great um, and you can get a fitness ball and you can rock on that and roll on the top of a fitness ball that you see at the gyms and stuff mm-hmm. you know and, and hugs you know hugs children need hugs um, and um Yes, there's professional boundaries, but if a parent isn't there and a child needs hugs, a hug, oh, yes. you know, what they release chemically is, um, is, is just, you know, in terms of endorphins and things and, and mm-hmm. feeling better, it's, it's massive. It's massive yes. for a child to have a hug. Um, wow. You know, another approach is, you know, if you're thinking about in, in, in hospital, um, um, it's about the value base of a nurse as well. Um, because that makes such a difference. So, you know, mm-hmm. compassion, empathy, respect, mm-hmm. um, giving the child a voice, listening to the child, mm-hmm. really important things, um, those, those, those values, those values, being honest, being fair, those types of um, things, uh, values, and uh, children really respond to that. Mm-hmm. Um, they really respond to that, and a new form of relationships. So relationships are really important. We know um, relationships can heal so much, you know. And um, mm-hmm. in that in that type of environment, if you have an adult, and, and, and we know that children who live in 
abusive, hostile environments, for example. If they have one adult outside of that home who goes crazy about them and loves them and, and, and you know, is a teacher or somebody who, who, mm-hmm. who, who goes all out with them and, and, and spends time with them, they're likely to get through their childhood a lot better and they're likely yeah. to, 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 to do better. So like we talk, you know, resilience is, 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 is something that I developed through going through tough times. And so one of the things about this is, although it could have been very done very differently, I, I was a fighter and I had to mm-hmm. be resilient to get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did it the hard way, but it can, it should be a lot easier. And mm-hmm. uh, you shouldn't have to get to an older age to mm-hmm. be able to, to, to be able to come to terms with it because, uh, because, because if you don't have that support when you're younger, if it doesn't get right, in, if, if it isn't right mm-hmm. in the hospital, and if it isn't right when you come out of hospital, right. um, so Martin, you if you don't have a story, does the child kind of invent their own story, and that could be a positive yeah. story or a negative story? Yeah, absolutely. It can become, um, you can create mythical thinking. So, you know, you can think something happened that actually didn't uh, if you're mm-hmm. not provided with accurate information. Or you can pretend even that your dad's alive to your friends mm. um, yeah. because, because it's never been explained. So you call that mythical thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, lost, my, lost my train of thought there. I'm sorry. But, um, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. What was the question again? Sorry. Uh, yeah, just I was I was thinking that if children don't have the real story to um, yeah. understand it, that they would create their own story, which could be beneficial to them or could be detrimental to them. Yeah, definitely detrimental um, to them. Um, mm-hmm. um, the truth is so important. Um, and... It, it, it can create resentment. It can create anger if you realize that the truth was something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, uh, you know, you kind of wonder, you have to make then sense, make sense of the fact that people weren't doing, people who told you about that story were doing it on purpose. They were mm-hmm. doing it to help you or protect you, even though it wasn't right. So I don't have any, I don't have any bad feelings about, not being told things or not being involved in things or being kept out of things. Mm-hmm. People did it for a reason back then, and that's okay. Um, uh, but it, it was okay, and it, but, but it's not as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for children, it needs to be done with transparency and openness mm-hmm. and staged in the right way for a child yeah. um, to help them process that trauma. I'm thinking um, this might be uh, a good place to take a break. And then we can yeah. come back and kind of move on to maybe children you've worked with or, you know, those kinds of things. So um, yeah, let's absolutely. take a break here. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And I'm talking with Martin Dearlove. He's from Australia. And we're talking about childhood trauma, the nurse's role. What can nurses do to help children who have been traumatized? So we will be back in just a few minutes. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. 
Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact Senior Executive Producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Thank you for joining us again, and um, this is Leanne Meyer, and we're talking about uh, childhood trauma and the nurse's role in it. So I'm talking with Martin Dearlove, who is a social worker in Australia, and what makes him especially interesting is that he had childhood trauma, and what we had just been discussing, he had been uh, severely burned at two years old, went into the hospital and found that... um, uh, his parents were not allowed to come and stay with him. So there's, you know, at two years old, you have a lot of trauma with that. And then not much in the way of memory of it. Um, so we talked about how that can play into later adult life also. But um, we're going to spend just a few minutes here and talk about some of the theory and research and, and some of the approaches in dealing with childhood trauma. So Martin, could you um, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, in the first part of the show, I talked about EMDR, e-movement, desensitization and reprocessing. So that's something um, in relation to post-traumatic stress disorder and trauma that works Mm -hmm. well with both children and adults. Can I I just say for 
time, can I just say for people who don't know what that is, it's actually um, holding, you can hold something in your hand or you can move your eyes back and forth and the idea is to move uh, sensation or, or stimulus across the brain from one side of the brain to the other and that somehow or yeah. another that creates um, a relaxation or a desensitization to whatever the trauma has been. So rather than reacting with anger or, or screaming or whatever it is that you would normally react to when you would experience that um, trigger, um, that you would be able to feel calm and, and remember it or think about it without having that uh, psychological reaction. Would that be true? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, I'm experiencing that particular model approach at the moment in terms of undertaking EMDR um, with that side to side, to side uh, the, eye, the eye movements. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what I can say about that, in my experience, and I'm, I'm working with an excellent professional called Kelly Gibson from Busselton. She um, is very experienced in it. And, um, um, it's it's hard. It's very hard emotional work. Work. Uh, yes. and, well, work. It's very hard emotional um, uh, therapy. It's mm-hmm. therapy, um, and um, it can have an effect on you for forty eight hours. It, you know, it can it can really um, um, have an impact on you um, whilst you're processing. Um, what you've talked about because you're bringing out very things that have maybe been hidden, things that you may not mm-hmm. remember, things that you've forgotten that you're pulling right. out and remembering. Um, you potentially cry. Um, mm-hmm. You potentially want to shout and want to let it all out, um, mm-hmm. working with a therapist. And um, um, it's been very helpful to me um, so far yeah. um, in bringing trauma, the traumas together. And working through them to be able to accept them and to learn from them and to move on. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. That has been my experience also. So um, you had talked about complex trauma. What would you like to tell us about that? Complex trauma is um, a series of traumas that occur. So you you, you can have a trauma, but if these traumas keep reoccurring, it becomes more complex um, Mm -hmm. and you can have four or five, five, six, seven traumas, and they refer to it as complex trauma in, in, mm-hmm. in respect to that it's been a buildup of traumas over a period of time. Um, mm-hmm. So you may suffer from complex trauma. You may suffer from a one-off really bad event called post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. um, for example, and you may suffer with um, what's common with that is REM sleep disorder, and, and that's how I link that to the, the dreams that I had, the night terrors I had when I was little, that in my, my sleep, my sleep was affected. Um, and, you know, ultimately um, that, that, that occurred again in, in my 40s when uh, a significant event happened over a, a, mm-hmm. over a prolonged period of time, um, mm-hmm. a couple of years, for example, um, and that um, it was slowly happening, but then it became, it felt like a jack-in-a-box effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything mm-hmm. just came out. But it had been building, and the signs were there when, when you look back. The signs had been there for that couple of years, and then out came Jack. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and that's, that's, that, that was really what, what can, yeah, can really topple you over, and you've got you've to right. come back from that. And the themes that were in all of that, 
were the themes that were there when I was two. Interesting. Um, being attacked, feeling attacked, feeling bullied, mm-hmm. feeling alone, feeling no power, feeling no voice. Mm-hmm. Um, Abandoned. So at the beginning, I said... I said it at the beginning about coming into social work, child protection. Well, it's strange that I work with children. I work with vulnerable children, and I was a vulnerable child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, of course, then you bring to it that um, incredible empathy and compassion because you know what happened to you, and you know you don't want this child in front of you to have that experience. So um, what about Absolutely, crisis yeah. intervention therapy? Theory? What would that be about? What was that? Sorry, sorry, didn't catch that. Crisis intervention theory. Yeah, crisis intervention theory, um, um, which has been around a long time, I suppose. That's it, that's how when when a crisis occurs, I think it's about limiting the crisis and mm-hmm. uh, um, in terms of coming out of it better by mm-hmm. by 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 you know being involved with the person who's in crisis um, and, and promoting a better outcome. Uh, rather than the person being left and mm-hmm. the crisis not being dealt with. Uh, so crisis intervention theory is um, it's really intervening in point of a crisis so that you come out the other side better. Mm-hmm. Um, and people use different approaches in that in terms of um, working with a, a child or an adult. Um, and crisis intervention is very quite well known in, in, in disasters, for example, right. uh, when disasters happen um, and so forth. Could, could you um, share any kind of a story that have you worked with a child that was in a disaster situation, a weather disaster? Or I always think of war when I think of, you know, those prolonged traumas. I, I don't know how can they deal with these children that have been in war all of their life. Absolutely. I mean, a war um, is, um, when you think of refugees um, coming to different mm-hmm. countries and what they uh, have been through in terms of being involved as a witness in a war, uh, a mm-hmm. victim of a war, and then potentially making a long journey with or without their parents, um, making a long journey with a big group of people, uh, which mm-hmm. potentially could be traumatic um, in terms of child protection. <laughs> Um, and then arriving in a completely different country and culture. Um, mm-hmm. And in the UK in particular, I work with families. Uh, so I remember a family from Kosovo um, in terms oh, of that Kosovo. conflict. So that was, that was the nine, that was, um, that was early 2000 um, when, when, when I worked with that family. And um, that little girl um, was receiving therapy um, for, for trauma. Uh, from mm-hmm. a local Bernardo's project, which is well known in the UK, one of the non-government therapeutic agencies, um, in relation to that trauma. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. In terms of what she'd witnessed, and what was her uh, outcome? And, and what her mom had witnessed too. Yeah. What was what was their outcome? <clears throat> Were they able um, to? Was she able to move on? Well, have some healing. Develop her life again. Um, I wasn't involved. I wasn't involved for much longer after that. We, mm-hmm. we I put the service in place for the for the little girl. Um, okay. One of the things which um, which is important to say is that sometimes, and it's a big issue at the moment in the UK and in Australia, is the waiting times to get mental health right. support, and and not just waiting times, but also the criteria. Um, you know, when there's cutbacks and there's no budgets mm-hmm. and things, and then then. Accessing health services, accessing mental health services is really difficult. And the mm-hmm. stories coming out of the UK at the moment is that, you know, literally you've got to be suicidal before you get yes. support. Um, yes. 
uh, and, and that's a, that's a, that's not a place that you know mm. any country should should um, any rich any rich country should be in. Yeah. Sure. Uh, you mentioned the ACE study, A C E study. What is that? Yeah, that stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. Um, that was an American study um, mm-hmm. carried out between 1995 and 97. It's really famous, and it's probably one of the most important pieces of research probably that's been done in child welfare, I would say. Mm-hmm. And um, it took a large group of people, and they looked at it over a long period of time, and it was a middle-class uh, people and they looked mm-hmm. at adversity in their childhoods and they followed them through and they looked at them when they became adults and they realized um, um, that the more adversity you had, the more points you scored for, uh, gave points for uh, each traumatic event or adverse, adverse event, that mm-hmm. the more problems you tended to have in, in adulthood. Um, and, and as a social worker watching that in the UK in terms of doing assessments and looking at doing a chronology and, and, and looking at someone's past, that's absolutely true. You know, um, the, you know, the more adversity there was, the more likely they were going to have mental health problems, drug problems, mm-hmm. um, not be employed, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's not always the case. And I think we have to be careful with this because, um, it's not always the case because resilience is really important. Isn't it? Right. So this is the, the flip side to it. It's that, mm-hmm. you know, people get through this stuff. Um, some people manage to get through it. And the, the question is, well, how, how, did, how did some of these people get through it? Uh, and mm-hmm. that's what a lot of people are asking questions about at the minute because not, not everybody does suffer. Um, mm-hmm. some, some people do get through it, um, even mean through horrendous abuse and so forth. Um, and so that's really important to know is that they, they somehow managed to get through it. Um, so is that partly the, personality? Is that um, spiritual base that that particular person might have, people around them that are positive? Or is, is there some other something that we don't know about? I think you have, I think you have to look at it holistically in terms of, you know, genetics and biology, as well as mm-hmm. nurture and you know, nurture and nature. I think I think sure. both play a part, uh, and it depends on the person, and it, mm-hmm. it depends on yeah, what's around, what's around that child, as sure. well. We talked about that one adult outside the home that um, is absolutely crucial to a child in the community. So it could be a teacher, a youth worker, etc., right. music teacher, whatever. Um, but if they show an show a, 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 an interest in that child which is healthy and which is uh, committed and sustained, then that child's got a good chance of doing okay. Um, that's what the research says. Okay. Yeah. How about brain science? How does that play into it? Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Neuroscience and brain development. Um, we know the first thousand days now are so critical for, for babies and toddlers in terms mm-hmm. of the brain development. Um, and they call it the first thousand days. Um, mm-hmm. That's not to say it's not important afterwards, it is, but the first thousand in terms of the brain, it, it develops the most in that particular critical period. Mm-hmm. So if there's trauma going on and it's fairly consistent and it's ongoing, then a child is going it, it, to be difficult to, re- it's gonna be difficult to reverse. Uh, not impossible, but it will be difficult to reverse in terms of that damage. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, yeah, it's really critical for babies. Um, you know, so domestic violence is, for example, is, is just one of those things and physical harm, sexual mm-hmm. abuse, etc. All those types yeah. of things um, going on for a child under three is, um, um, yeah, changes of care and so on. Um, if, if they're in the foster care system and they move around a lot, mm-hmm. then that right. has a massive impact on the development. It's a, it sets the blueprint for quite quite a long period of, of the you know of the life um, mm-hmm. and you've got to rechange that you've got to rewire it as they call it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so there's a lot of things that come into this and um, I think um, as people who have not experienced this kind of thing or maybe grew up in a family where things certainly had their ups and downs but maybe nothing that was so dynamically tragic um, that it affected them in their their future life um, it must be very hard to really understand that some of these people who don't seem to be functioning well in young adulthood or, or later adulthood it isn't just that they're lazy or they, they don't um, don't want to move themselves forward it's all of these things that are going on brain chemistry and all of the other things that they almost have to work through before they can move on to something else? Absolutely. And the key question that, um, that you'll hear now is, um, is, is what happened to you? Right. That is, what, that, is what, that is the question of the moment is what happened to you? Now, there was, uh, there was almost a, a period of time where, well, you, didn't, you don't really have to look back at your past. You don't really need mm-hmm. to ask questions about it, you know. But, you, you know, I was always a believer that you do. You have to, you have, to have a look mm-hmm. at it because, you know, what did happen to you? You have to make sense of it because right. it will always haunt you, you know, as it, as, it, as, it, as it has for me. It will kind of haunt you until you deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to make that connection. You don't have to stay there. You can move forward. You have to, you have to do something right. with it so you can move forward. So you have to look forward. So you have to be in the present. Um, but you, have to, you do have to, you know, what happened to you? That's, that's such a critical question mm-hmm. to ask in so, um, Martin, in what area. would you suggest and, and, yeah. if, there's, if there's some adults out there that are experiencing, you know, realizing that something isn't right with them and they don't know exactly why and they've maybe been to various psychologists or psychiatrists and they're still not clear what should they do? Um, should they just, are there steps they can take to try and work through it or find um, people that could work with them? Well, if they, if, I guess, um, if they think there's something, if they're feeling that their problem isn't being dealt with, um, you know, medication isn't the all answer. So uh-huh. you mentioned psychiatry there. Psychiatry yeah. is moving away from that a little bit now. So, so um, psychiatry is acknowledging other interventions and, and um, herbal right. remedies and, and various other things and things like yoga, things mm-hmm. like um, Pilates and, uh, and exercise and eating mm-hmm. healthily um, and those sorts of things. So they're really important because we know they, uh, they produce chemicals that make us feel better and feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of trauma, um, what I would recommend is there's different, there's different ways, different approaches to trauma, and we mentioned EMDR as, as, we, mm-hmm. as we have, and I think I think that's very critical to to complement 
an intervention. I think having a mm-hmm. mental health plan is nothing to be ashamed of, like going mm-hmm. to your doctor and, ask, and, and saying, I'm really not well. I'm really mm-hmm. not well. These are the feelings that I have. These are the thoughts. This is what the people around me are recognizing. These are what people uh, are saying about me in terms of, you know, how I look, how I'm acting. You know, the GP is usually the first part of call in terms of going to your doctor, asking for a mental health plan, and, and then having a, a, having a holistic approach to mental health, to trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, you need information. So if you don't remember or recall that, then that's really important. So you need, you need whoever was around at the time to be able to pull that together mm-hmm. and, and make sense of that. And that can be done with photographs. That can be done with somebody writing it for you or, or, mm-hmm. or you interviewing them. For example, um, mm-hmm. you know, I would imagine refugees are in a lot of that situation quite, quite, it's quite common. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I would imagine that happened a lot after the Second World War, for example, in oh, terms yeah. of um, not, 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 you know, not having that connection and not knowing where to get information from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, that would be that would really be, that would be the starting point in terms of um, I, I would I would suggest people. People talk to people who have experienced trauma as well. There might mm-hmm. be trauma support groups. There may be support groups around that. But talk to people who have uh, suffered with trauma as well. Lots of people have, uh, and they can give good advice to mm-hmm. people and give good tips. So that's something to talk to people who have also suffered it. Um, mm-hmm. And um, be careful with medication is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Careful yes. medication. Always, always, really do your research on medication. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that it's not useful for some people and in some situations because it is, but not always. Right. Um, yeah. You need to be careful around medication, and you need to, um, you know, if you're suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder as well, and you're having bad dreams, and that's a, as that's a very obvious sign that 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 you know something like EMDR would work. So, if you're mm-hmm. having nightmares, um, kind of late on in your sleep. Um, which is the last half of your sleep, then you know you're, 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 you probably need a sleep trial. So sleep trials are really useful um, in terms of um, um, diagnosing any sleep disorders um, mm-hmm. because that, that, that is what does, you know, that affected me in terms of sleep mm-hmm. disorders. Um, in my so that's, so that's when that, you go that, in that, 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 um, to... Um, Someplace that has beds and you stay and sleep overnight. <clears throat> they have you hooked up to various different monitors and can watch your breathing and yeah. your, your brain That's functioning right, yeah. and, and um, movement in the bed and all of that while you're sleeping. And then they can give That's you an right. overall uh, status report yeah. of, you know, are you stopping breathing at some period during your sleep time? Um, are you ever getting to a deep sleep? Those kinds of things. Is that yeah. what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That that's they they do a, a very rigorous test. You stay overnight, and as you said, you said everything there. That that's what mm-hmm. happens. Um, um, I think what was quite interesting for me was that when I was little, I was getting into REM sleep, um, and, and and I was having the bad dreams with the wolf, mm-hmm. and and then as a, as an adult, when I had a bad period uh, and an incident. I wasn't going into REM sleep because my body told me not to because uh-huh. when I was younger, that didn't help because yeah. I couldn't help. So I would be on patrol in my sleep. <laughs> so I would have non-REM disorder, sleep disorder, which happens in the first quarter of the night. 
So all my <laughs> sleep issues were in the first quarter of the night. So I was, I was literally on p- patrol because I was waiting for someone to come and attack. So, uh-huh. that, that, so you'd so wake up exhausted then? Would that be the, the result? Sorry, what was that? Sorry? Would you wake up exhausted then? Would that be the result? And yeah. then yeah, it would get progressively yeah. more difficult to deal with life in general because you're just so tired. Yeah, I, I was falling asleep during the day. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, literally falling, falling asleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, that's so what, what did they do Jumping to overcome that? Um, to overcome that, um, uh, right. Well, medication is one thing. So medication can be one thing. Um, uh, melatonin is a particularly good example of a fairly healthy, um, sleep, uh, stimulant, um, which I would recommend. And, um, you may develop sleep apnea as well, OSA. Um, and so you may have a, a sleep apnea machine, for example, mm-hmm. that was something I developed as well. Seems um, like a lot of, of people sleep. have that more and more. They're realizing um, that, yeah. that people are not actually getting good sleep because they're not actually asleep. They're waking themselves up periodically through the night. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. And I only found out through going in through surgery on my nose because I'd fallen out of bed during my sleep. So this is how serious it got. I was actually getting injured. So I broke uh-huh. my nose um, and I had to go into hospital for surgery. And before that, I'd fallen asleep before the operation and the nurses woke me up to say, you've got sleep apnea and it's really severe. You have, uh-huh. have something done about it. Um, and literally the machines can add years to your life. So I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. The psychiatrist has kind of gone, you know, this, you've got to get one and you've got to buy right. one. Um, and you've right. got to use it because it does. It makes you. It does make you sleep. It does help mm-hmm. you sleep. Um, mm-hmm. So, and the other things really are around um, around the sleep. I've mentioned medication. I mentioned. Um, um, I was thinking time, about like a sleep hygiene. Um, it seems like in the United States, I assume other places too, that now that we have such good lighting. People tend to stay up yeah. later and later and then uh, maybe yeah. want to sleep yeah. later, you know, during the weekends and, and catch yeah. up on sleep. Um, and, and that in, um, what's, what's the word, um, uh, where it's, it's not, you're not doing the same thing every day can affect sleep too. Is that so? That's right. The blue light. Um, from your yeah. mobile phone right. and from your mm-hmm. computers, absolutely, yeah, yeah. There's more and more research on that that says that you really need to leave them alone about an hour before you go to bed, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you can turn on your phones and computers. Uh, you can turn the light to a warmer light, a yellow light, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and you can also wear the blue glasses, the blue tinted glasses, um, in the morning if that mm-hmm. is uh, kind of what you're doing. Um, as, as well, um, and which you can get from um, sleep specialists, um, for example, um, if you if you refer to a sleep specialist, mm-hmm. um, and um, and I've, I've actually I've actually used those as well, the blue, um, and they they wear off the melatonin in the morning, the melatonin you take to help you sleep mm-hmm. in the morning, the blue light um, kind of. Um, gets rid of that hungover type effect that you may get. Um, so mm. you become fresher a lot earlier. So the blue light, you should, you, should, you should really do it for a couple of hours in the morning if you're able to. 
Um, yeah, so absolutely. Technology is playing a big part in, um, in, in sleep uh, as, as, as well, yeah. 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 Uh, and that would be something that if you were suffering with trauma, you would, probably, you would, need, to, um, you would need to limit um, yeah. if you have sleep issues. Yeah. So, Martin, we're down to like our last three minutes or so. Is there anything that you'd particularly like to um, you know, let nurses know? I, we've talked about a lot of things. Is there anything else that um, you could really encourage them in helping people, whether it's an adult experience or re-experiencing? childhood trauma or a child that's in the the um, throes of trauma that might be helpful for them to be able to be more effective uh, with their patients? Well, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think, for, I think for nurses, you're on the front line. And so like social workers and doctors and so on, you need to look after yourself. Um, oh, yeah. You need to self-care for yourself because what you, you experience in, in, you know, an emergency department or, you know, somebody coming on to pediatric ward who's had, serious injuries then that's traumatic can be traumatic for you and and such a thing as secondary trauma Um, a lot of foster carers get that secondary trauma through dealing with children who have have had trauma and and been Mm -hmm. abused and so forth so that's the first thing um, certainly I think also um, a a couple of ideas I didn't mention earlier for for, for nurses as well as the self-care is that that they, they can advocate for children if you're in a rural community and I, I, I managed in a rural community uh, in Australia, that, you know, geography plays its part and um, resources can be really limited and, and you're really isolated. So you've got to, you have to look around as a hospital or, or as a nurse, as a doctor, you have to look around. If you're, if, if you're lacking in um, psychological support, you know, um, and child and adolescent mental health and you need those services, then you can be a stepping stone to bring the community together to raise awareness and, and campaign, for example, um, to get those services that you need. So I wouldn't be frightened of doing that as a nurse. Um, I think it's really important um, mm-hmm. to, to, to be involved in that. And also multi-agency working is so important in relation oh, to trauma yes. as well, particularly rurally um, when there's less, of, less, less resources. Um, so, you know, when a child comes to leave, hospital, for example, um, then, you know, talk, being able to have consent to talk to daycare, to schools, health visitors, um, you, 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 obviously your GP or your doctor, um, and linking up and sharing information. Martin, this is so helpful. I have to interrupt you because we are literally out of time. But you have added so much to this whole um, area, and I'm really so glad that we could have you on. I appreciate it. I hope you can get back to sleep now (laughs) and get a good sleep. Yeah, it's it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Leanne. Okay. This has been Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. This is Leanne Meyer, and thank you so much for joining us, and I look forward to um, having you join us again next week on Monday. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.